The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. We want to welcome our podcasters. We are on part two of our series on the social area of life, particularly under the title of The Purpose of Relationships. Also, we'd like to announce that starting next week, we will start our financial area of life, and we will be covering probably 30 primary principles connected to that topic. So we have some very interesting and fun things coming up. Even the financial series, I'm pretty excited as to the content that's coming. It's actually extracted from the book, Finances in the End Times, and you can get that book online right now if you want to start reading it in advance. The messages will be from those chapters in that book, and that can be accessed through our website. So today's message, Vision, Purpose for Relationships, Part 2. Let's read our opening statement. Producing new life. Once Adam was put into the garden, God told him to tend to it so that the seeds coming forth from these plants can bear new life. And this was to be done before God granted him a helpmate. This too was a pictorial overview of what Christ was called to do for mankind. Now why would God, first of all, create Adam outside of the garden? This beautiful, beautiful garden that he, God, put together. And the scriptures are very specific on this, that God created Adam outside of the garden. Why didn't he grab a fistful of dirt inside that precious, beautiful garden and create Adam? And we're guessing here, because God does not detail why he did it that way. But when we look at the pictorial coming up here, from the Hebrew, you will see some amazing things. The gospel of Jesus Christ is in it is we are literally born outside the garden. Born into sin. We are received into Christ Jesus what grants us privilege to be in the garden of God is being in Christ. So evangelism is actually in creation which is where we get the term creation evangelism. Okay, we have the tendency to look at creation as God's way of getting things started for us. That is not the reason for creation. And I'm going to prove this to you by Hebrew in a couple moments. So Adam was created outside the garden by God's hand and privilege and allowance he was put into the garden and then once he was put into the garden God said tend to the garden he put him to work and that's why men have the tendency to die before women do 
is they're so focused on their work that their minds literally wear their bodies down quicker than that of a woman. A woman tends to be more focused upon relationships. Relationships is what grants us an enhanced life. It's what gives us a desire to live longer. If you don't have relationship and a desire for relationship, you die sooner. If it's not suicide, it's what I call psychological suicide, is every year that goes by in your life, you're losing hope because there's no one in your life. Loneliness, if you remember from the Hebrew, is the term for Hades and soon to be hell. So loneliness will kill you. It is not good to be alone, which is what is about to be revealed to Adam. So let's break this down here a little bit. This is the scripture that we read earlier. For you podcast listeners, please go to Matthew chapter 13, verses 19 through 30. This is our passage for this morning. It says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So and please tell me what that means to you. Can anyone receive this word of truth in the heart? Okay, there is a passage that, that's, that says there are two primary doctrines of demons that are revealed to us. There are many, but there are two that came with a very strong warning. Do you remember what they were? For those who say, Marriage is not necessary. That will be the, the final government decision soon. Marriage is simply not necessary. It's too many wars, rumors of wars, conflict, arguing, fussing, money, everything over this silly thing called marriage. So let's dissolve the institution of marriage. When I was in Washington those five years serving under Bush, that was already being discussed at the tables. So that is a demonic doctrine. What was the second one mentioned? Those who believe in abstaining from food. Two huge doctrines to God and to Satan. So as a counselor, I have counseled many people who had this nasty habit of putting chocolate cake in their mouth and they would eat it, but they wouldn't swallow it. They would just enjoy the taste and then they would spit it out. Some would actually swallow it and after they were done having their sweets, they would go to the bathroom and throw it up because they wanted the full pleasure of eating, swallowing, but not digesting it. Not having it become a part of your body. It's called bulimia. Anorexia and bulimia are two huge signs of the person suffering with demonic doctrines. Same issue with the marriage. If you're even thinking about 
holding off and getting married. Thinking about, is it really necessary? Thinking about, you are already suffering with demonic doctrines. That's what this means. Because in the beginning, God set this whole thing up so that man, so that Adam would come to this point of saying, I'm alone. I'm going to hell. I'm alone. I need a helpmate. I'm alone. I need my husband, Christ. You see, the whole thing is set up this way. So Satan goes, hmm, I'm going to go after two things. This whole marriage thing with Christ, the way I'll do that is to attack human marriages. And then I'm going to go after this food thing. And how am I going to do it? Through food, through an apple, or kiwi, or whatever kind of fruit it was. It is being revealed to us Satan's two primary doctrines. So if you want to call anorexia, bulimia, dieting, not eating, not eating meats, not doing any of that, or, or messing around with the idea of not getting married or whatever, if you want to, to play around with the hands of Satan, that's how you do it. And what happens in the long run is you have an anorexic or bulimic society who does not ingest the seed in the heart. Do you understand that? This is where Satan is taking this. And Jesus Christ, our husband, is revealing his trick of the trade. Satan's trick of the trade. You see, Satan is a god of the external. He goes through external things to confuse the mind spiritually. So what we are seeing here is there are thousands and millions and even billions of people since Adam and Eve who took the word of truth into their mouths they rolled it around on their tongue and they're like, oh, this tastes so good. There's even some people that even swallow it. There are three primary pathways this scripture is going to talk about. There are some people that actually swallow it and do this bulimic, spiritual bulimic thing within hours after hearing this message this morning. Or whatever pastor you are listening to. On the radio. On your podcast. In your little church building. In your big church building. The odds are that the majority of your people. Pastors listen very carefully. The majority of your people are bulimic. Just because they hear the truth. Put it in their mouth roll it around, enjoy the taste of that chocolate cake, swallow that, that word, and then turn around three or four hours later and puke it up so that it does not become ingested and a part of the body of Christ. That's what's going on with this deception. So he goes on and he says this, This is the one whom the seed, the food, the life, was sown beside the road. The one whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, 
This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. In other words, they've got a hard heart. It's a preacher who is preaching such precise, wonderful, incredible truth that sets people free. And they're sitting there going, whether you're at your computer right now or listening on your smartphone or you're listening to a preacher on the radio, the simple fact is you are excited about hearing this truth. But I know, because of being in ministry as long as I have, that the odds of it going into your body is probably not going to happen. And it goes on and says, Yet he has no firm root in himself. Well, how do you get a firm root? It's through your mommy and daddy. Your parents are designed as, as Adam and Eve were called to do, is to work those seeds so that the root system would go deep into the soil of God. So it will reproduce itself. So when you're putting seeds out there to people who have hard hearts, rocky soil, the fact is it's not going to take root because they have had bad parental experiences they rebel against parental figures and the word does not get rooted. So what is Satan doing? He's attacking the parental area of life to destroy this from ever happening in that person's life. I can go person after person after person that I've worked with for all these years and show you that just because they're excited, just because they come for discipleship, just because they're excited in your church for a few months, does not mean anything. In fact, it's setting them up for failure. We have to understand the prophetic element of this passage that God is giving us through Christ Jesus. He goes on and he says this. This is the man who hears the word of God immediately, receives it with joy, yet has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when afflicted or persecuted, persecution arises because of the word, this is what you're giving them. So here's the deal, folks. Listen to me very, very carefully. You might be excited because you are listening to an indwelt Christ is life teacher, but you're setting yourself up for the worst kind of distress there is. Because when that word is put into your mouth is when Satan steps up and goes, I must destroy that word in his mouth. He must puke it up. I must get him or her to go to the bathroom and throw it up Sunday afternoon. This is critical that you understand this. Just because you receive the word of truth and you're excited about the word of truth does not mean anything eternally. It's whether you swallow it and keep it down and you don't get nauseated. There's a funny thing about anorexia and bulimia. People actually get sick when they eat. 
So when you actually do the right thing, you get sick. You get nauseated. And you want to throw up good, healthy meat, vegetables, life. You get sick doing the norm. That's what's going to happen to the church. The actually indwelt church of Jesus Christ are the only ones that are going to survive. The rest are going to go into this anorexic and bulimic pattern in the church today. Throwing up the truth by Sunday afternoon. It goes on and he says this, And the one whom the seed was sown among the thorns, thorns from the Hebrew, if you remember correctly, is weapon man. It's Satan. It is, it is what chokes off life. There are certain people that take the word in, they don't just spit it out after they hear it, but they actually swallow it, and these thorns, the enemy just, just starts squeezing the stomach to where the stomach feels nauseated. Worries of life. And they throw up. It's the first thing people do when they're upset. Just throw up. So this thorns. This is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. And the one whom seed was sown to the good soil. This is the man or woman who hears the word which is the life of Christ, hears the word, understands it because the Spirit brings understanding, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. See, Christ isn't saying that everyone's going to produce the same level of fruit. He just wants reproduction. Adam... I'm putting you in the garden to reproduce the garden for me. He was using external to show Adam that's what he needs to do for mankind. Because God needs the whole cattle pen filled so he can make his selection for the bride of Christ. To be fruitful and multiply. What's one of the number one things we face in society here in America? Yeah, 2.3 children. Now it's down to 1.8. I'm not sure what, how you get the eight. Maybe that's three abortions per family. While they'll swerve on a highway to avoid running over a raccoon. And that same person will murder a child if the girlfriend got pregnant. There's something wrong with our society today. Save a duck and kill a kid. Do you see something not right here? That's not fruit. The kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about is the multiplication of his own life. Jesus presented another parable saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. 
key thing here. While they were sleeping. What was going on in the garden, folks? Jesus is bent over a rock, pleading with his father, sweating blood. And what else is going on in the garden? They're sleeping. So while they were sleeping, what was happening to Christ? The enemy came and he started planting terrors around Jesus, trying to deceive him, trying to get him to doubt, trying to get him into such despair he'd want to put a rope around his neck and hang himself. You would think that Satan would have it down by now that Christ is not going to kowtow to the deceptive ways of the enemy. The fact is, Jesus was all man at this point. He emptied himself out as God. He had to suffer the same temptations as the disciples had to suffer. So the critical piece here is that While we are sleeping, the enemy is coming to plant things in our lives to get us the next day to have the truth we heard in Sunday choked out. That's how it's done. I am also not ignorant. I know that of however many people are going to be hearing this particular message of truth from a small part of God's vineyard as a whole, I also understand that the majority of these listeners fit well into this category. Meaning, the closer we get to the end times, the fewer there are that are going to receive the message of truth. You don't even know what Satan is going to plant in your field this afternoon after hearing this message. It will take time for those thorns and thistles to grow up. He's not impatient. He's a lot more patient. Satan is a lot more patient than you are. And he will wait and wait until those thorns and thistles choke off what your preacher taught you three months ago. And where will you find yourself? Sitting around your house again, sucking on your thumb, your spiritual thumb, expecting someone to come kowtow to your misery. And in truth being, is that Christ said, those who are weary and heavy laden, Someone finish the verse. You come to me and I will give you rest. We have adopted the emergent doctrines that Christ will chase you down. The facts are he will not. He's always about his father's business and he's waiting for you to come and say, I'm weary, I'm heavy laden, and I need rest. I hope I get a few emails on that one. So, but while the the, uh, men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed the tares among the wheat, and then he went away, the enemy went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. 
The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, The enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? And he said, No. For while you are gathering up the tares, you might uproot the wheat as well. So here Christ is saying, Just leave the phonies in the church. Leave the fake ones in the church. Because in the end, the strength of the wheat will be stronger. But the day is coming, as we see in this final statement, allow both, both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them in bundles, and burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn, meaning the very kingdom of God. Okay, now let's take a look at this from the Hebrew. We're going to talk about the first and second Adam here. So allow me to show you the profound Hebrew parallel that's going on. The term heart means dwelling place. The phrase seed was sown means pathway to life that hooks what has been planted. The pathway to life that has been hooked. Hooked, the single word hooked in the Hebrew means counselor. So the pathway to life that the counselor has planted so disciples, uh, spiritual fathers, mentors, these are the people that plant. They're the counselors. They're, they're hooking the person, fishers of men, so that they may be drawn unto Jesus Christ. The word rocky places translates out as hardened pathway or outside the garden. So here Adam was created outside the garden, the pathway, outside the pathway of Christ, born into sin. Thorn translates out as last place life is found, or to pretend, or cover in deceit, which is another title for Satan. To fake it, to cover it up, to be deceitful. Good soil reveals the Hebrew definition surrounded house with authority. So the soil itself is a house, it's a domain, it's a, an environment that is managed by authority. So Satan obviously is going to work diligently at destroying authority in an environment, a culture. The Hebrew translation for field is bar or sun. That's where they get bar mitzvah. Bar or sun that opens. If a young man does not get his life turned around and directed on the proper pathway by the time of his bar mitzvah, 
the odds of that young man making it eternally reduces significantly. You have to have your daughters ready by 10 years of age and your sons ready at 13 years of age. And if you have not done proper parental authority structure within the house, the odds are you are tossing them, giving them as a gift to the enemy. That's what's happening. And you see it right around 12, 13 years of age if the son gets it or not. The word tares in the Hebrew means false plant. It's like, it's like a silk plant. Looks good. You got to walk up to it and feel it to see if it's real or fake. That's what's being revealed here. It's a false plant. And in the Greek it means a person living without faith or a false believer or a false Christian. They're a silk plant. Finally, the word wheat is defined in the Hebrew as inner room surrounded by water or life. That's wheat. So now, the parallel, the first Adam and the second Adam, to, for me anyway, is very obvious when it comes to the Hebrew. So the rich meaning from the pictorial will read like this. Listen very, very carefully. If the word of God is planted within the dwelling place of man, his heart, and if the spirit does not grant understanding, the enemy of the garden will come and snatch it away. When the word of God, the life of Christ, is thrown upon a hardened pathway, the person may become excited about the truth but in the end, the word or life of Christ will not root and become a part of that person's life. For these kinds of people are so focused on how people mistreat them that when biblical hard times come, they will forsake God and his people and run away. And if you have not noticed, if you jump on your average social media site and see how people are responding and how offended they are when someone doesn't befriend them or drops their friendship connection or people are so focused on being accepted by humans they are rejecting the living God and don't even realize it. If the word falls upon a dwelling place that is covered with deceit Stay with me on this. If the word of God falls upon a dwelling place that is covered with deceit, many worries, doubts, and fears will cause them not to bear the fruit of the word. Someone please tell me how I can get that silk tree right there to bear fruit. I can pray hours per day I can go get my glue gun and glue on plastic fruit because that's ultimately what I will have to do to deceive the people around me that I am an indwelt Christian when the truth is I am a fake plant according to Hebrew 
Just because you look good and have fruit glued on your trees, I'm not buying it. There is only one way to find out if that tree is real and that fruit is real is to put it under fire. That's how it works. And that's exactly how the world itself has to be tested and refined. Baptism of fire, I believe, is what it's called. But if the word and the life of Christ indwells a person and they allow their lives to be surrounded by authority of Christ, which is represented in church eldership, well, this person will produce the multiplication of the seed of righteousness and bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Know this, in the end, a time will come when God will separate false believers from the true children of God who surround themselves with the water of life. You see, they don't separate themselves from the water of life. They are attracted to the water of life. You see? Here's the first thing that we do with people who do not believe like us. They typically label them and they put them into a category and they separate themselves from them. We are drawn and designed to be drawn to the light and life in water. To surround ourselves with body life. To surround ourselves with the life of Christ. The blunt reality of people being faced with the blunt reality that they're not going to make it is too much. The reason why we lie to ourselves is because we can't face the truth. We don't have it. We just can't face it. You know, this week in, in, in the news of seeing this celebrity, by all standards of man, should be a happy man. Has children, had some kind of family going on, success, money, influence, made people laugh, made people cry. The man could not have asked for anything more. And he hangs himself in his closet. Why does a person do that? Because they're fighting the fact that they are alone. They have an internal hell going on and all of the fake stuff they have put in their life is not meeting any of their needs. Our next slide shows us this. Work first, relationship second. In our postmodern society, it's relationship first, work second. That is not God's design. I've had way too many discussions with people on this topic, and I'll probably have a few more after people download this podcast this week because they don't like to hear this. They want to hear relationship first, then we do task. The fact is we're designed by God to go make your bed first. Then come back down and have breakfast. No, that is not how the average person functions in America today. Probably worldwide. They get out of bed. They stumble their way into the bathroom. They get rid of uh, what they need to get rid of. 
they kind of stumble down to the kitchen table and ask mom, where's my breakfast? And you know what? Most parents kowtow to that. Not in my house. It is you march right back into your room and you get your bedroom in order. You go get yourself in order and then sit down at the table and I shall feed you. That's how Satan trapped Eve is relationship first, task second. Just open your eyes. It's there. So when Adam was mandated by God to work first, by preparing the garden for new life, as well as name the animals that God brought to him, the one who plants and names life is the same one who is surrounded by authority, which puts him in first place. Why in the world as a parent would I give excessive responsibility to a child who won't make their bed without being told? Do you understand that? Never entrust pearls to a pig. And the term we use with a lot of children as they're growing up is your room is like a pigsty. Pig pen. But yet they just keep tossing pearls at their children, spoiling them rotten. And I don't know if you have noticed this or not, but when you indulge and spoil someone with food, they get sick. They get sick to their stomach and they end up throwing up the good with the bad. There might be a satanic ploy in this, in the parental realm. Then there's others that shift and go clear to the extreme of using the law. No, it's a balance of law and grace. Fulfillment of law activates grace. I'm going to say it again, particularly for my gracilistic listeners. The fulfillment of law activates grace. If you preach or practice grace before you understand the fulfillment of the law, you shall become emergent. So the one who plants is the, and names is the one who is surrounded by authority, which puts him in first place. It was during this time period God allowed man to come to the conclusion that it's that he is not complete as was with the case of the animals and he needed a helpmate with that God put him in a sleep formed a woman from the creation of man took literally a bone from his side bone of his bone flesh of his flesh and formed Eve it's critical to understand here that the man was created from dirt and a woman was formed from flesh that God had previously created. This is why woman was to be dependent on the man and the man was to be dependent on the creator. You now have the perfect structure of authority. As in the case with Christ, being the second Adam was to do the work and then prepare the pathway for his bride task first, then we're going to enjoy relationship. If Christ didn't fulfill the law first, please, my grace people, listen very carefully. If Christ did not come and do the work and fulfill the law first, you would not have the privilege to enjoy grace. Which means you would not have the privilege of being forgiven from your sins. 
Which means you'd go to hell. The work has to be finished first. It was the case in the garden. It's the case with Christ. Christ knew this and he accepted it. He openly embraced it. He had to do this very tough work in order to give his bride a gift, a free gift. That is not how your average leader or man functions today. Most men today abuse their women like they're some kind of workhorses. They make them do the work so they can enjoy their boats and ski dues and whatever the case may be. They put their wives to work, put them in the pathway of the enemy, so the enemy will destroy them first. But don't take my toys. That's what's happened to us here in this great land that we live in. So the parallel of Christ coming to conduct the work of the cross before his bride was permitted to come unto him for salvation, engagement, or betrothment, is evidenced in the garden. It's all laid out there. Today man puts such an emphasis on social life being the purpose of fulfilling the need of loneliness that he, she completely misses God's purpose in relationships. I have family members that despise me because I teach this. They don't like hearing task first, relationship second. They'll put family first and then the task of ministry. Well, that's kind of like saying relationship first because I get paid to minister. We destroyed ministry by getting paid to do it. We have destroyed it. Long gone are the just working under the gospel and getting a free chicken. Long gone are those days. And if you look back, that's only one generation ago. My grandfather was a preacher for chicken. That's one generation ago. And look how far we've come in one generation. Now some of our highest paid men, leaders in America, are our pastors. Something's gone very, very wrong here. True relationship evangelism is exactly that. The relationships that we're allowed to have by God are for the purpose of leading others to his son. For what purpose is there if we have strong and healthy relationships here on earth and one or both go to hell in the end and these little picket sign carrying people about relationship, relationship, social life, social connections are gone like a vapor. What, what was the purpose? To say that I had 32,000 friends on my social network? What would you give them? Badgering and talking about tomatoes? You see, what are we giving people in these relationships? It's almost ridiculous, some of the stuff that's going on. So I see no value in human relationships. I'll say it again. I, Steve Finney, see no value in human relationships unless it is for the strict purpose of introducing them to Christ. And once this happens, we then can enjoy fellowship 
with other like-minded bridal members. Send me those emails. I would love to have a dialogue with you on this because relationships mean nothing to me unless it is leading the person to either have a great exchange in Christ Jesus or to advance their indwelling life of Christ. Then I can enjoy all the sweet fellowship I want with that person. But why would I want to enjoy a social sweet fellowship, if you even want to use that Christ as I've term in a human relationship, but why would I want to enjoy a relationship with a person while they're going to hell? That just does not make sense to me. So I can be happy? It's almost like you're using that human like a dog. Give me your, that dog's not even going to hell. That dog is nothing but molecules. They don't go to heaven and they don't go to hell. Sorry you dog believers who believe your pets are going to heaven, but they don't. They stay with the dirt. But here's what they do. That relationship is for no other reason but to make the owner feel happy, feel loved, feel accepted, to have some, some life form please them. There's no value in it. But once you understand that and accept the true indwelling value in indwelt relationships, you can enjoy a dog. You can enjoy a big fancy house. You can enjoy a shack. You can enjoy a hut. You can enjoy plants. You can enjoy fine food. You can enjoy eating a tomato. So it's not one or the other. It's what's first and what's second. Send me the emails. I want to have a discussion with you on this because so many people are addicted to humans that they're forgetting the creator. So many people are attached to saving raccoons on the highway while they murder children in abortions they don't remember the creator if I have to choose between taking out an animal and human life in my car I'm gonna hit that animal I'm not gonna risk flipping my car for the sake of a raccoon that is not the world we live in today any relationship that is not Christ-focused is toxic. Meaning it'll kill you. If these words are too harsh for you, you might want to consider reviewing Matthew chapter 10, verses 35 through 38. Of course, those are the not-so-famous passages of Christ's saying, if you consider father, mother, brother, sister, more important than me you are not worthy of me proclaiming excellence Peter had a clear grasp on the mission when when it came to relationships as with any responsible indwelt believer Peter reminds the people who they are in Christ after making sure they understood these truths he hits them with the commission of what to do next and here's what 1 Peter 2, 
verses 9 through 10 actually say. But you are a chosen race. Now we're, we're giving them identity first. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own uh, possession, God's own social network, God's own possession, so that you may proclaim, here's the reason, you get identity so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. Identity and all the work that Christ had to do to give this to you to be a royal priesthood, to be a holy nation, to be, you know, all these things of who, I, who we are in Christ is for His excellency. Who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light for you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God and you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. He starts it with identity. He tells you what the reason is. And he closes it with identity. Don't tell me that the exchanged life or people discovering who they are in Christ is nominal or less important doctrines of God. I believe in the end times it's going to be the only thing that matters. Even when it comes to keeping our behavior excellent before God and man, it is for the honorary purpose of evangelism. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among Gentiles, so that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, Glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, if you really break that down, which we don't have time to do, but if you really break that down, this little passage, this little verse, is profound. Because it, it says the true meaning of all kinds of relationship, healthy ones, persecuting ones, it reveals the whole deal. So that in the end, they will look at your life and say, you know, there really is a God. That's it. <laughs> and we make it about ourselves and being loved and accepted and people supporting other people's dreams and visions and callings and whatever. And God's just saying, it's just about me. It's so all glory comes back to the Father. You see, whether the relationship is positive or negative, the Lord wants to use relationship to illustrate His everlasting life. The majority of the people saved or not say that love, they love God and certainly proclaim God's love toward them. But the truth being said, they have no clue what love is. Since James tells us that God is love, then when they say that we love someone, we should be giving them God. That is clear logic. Jesus' half-brother said God is love. 
Those words came from the Spirit for him to write down. When you say, I love someone, you should be saying, I give God to you. It has nothing to do with them liking your creative work. It has nothing to do with them supporting your visions and dreams. It has nothing to do with any of that. That is all pure selfishness. It is, if I say I love you, am I actually giving you the task of God? A simple connection, but you should have profound impact when it comes to the meaning and purpose of relationships and loving others. Here is that passage, 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. The one who does not love, does not, they don't know God. Now, stay with me on this logic, because it's in the Word. If God is love, and you're not giving God to someone through your lovely relationships, it isn't love. So if you truly do love, you truly are giving God to someone through that relationship, you know God. But see, if you do not love, if you are not giving God away in your relationships, you do not know God. And I'm here to tell you today that people who do not use the task of Jesus Christ for relationship don't get what I'm saying. For God is love. You see, he is logically connecting these pieces. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him if you don't have the exchange life if you don't have the life of Christ in you you can go ahead and puke this verse up before you go to bed tonight because it's valueless to you the only way, stay with me listeners, the only way to truly love someone, to give God away to someone, to know God, is to have, it's being stated here, is to have it manifested in us. It has to be done through us. And if you don't have the life of Christ in you, this scripture is absolutely fruitless. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Keep the definitions intact. It's not that we are giving God God. Are you with me? It's God giving God, Jesus Christ, to us. People who do not have the indwelling life of Christ cannot love God. I'll say it one more time. People who do not have the indwelling life of Christ cannot love God. Forget your bumper sticker. Go put your coexistence bumper sticker over that one because if you're not indwelt by Christ, you cannot say, I love God. It's impossible. Beloved, 
If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God gave God to us, Jesus Christ, we should want to give him away to others. If you are so focused and selfish in regard to your life substances versus the substance you can give away to someone else, you're missing the point. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, if we give God to one another, God abides where? Not around us, not in our church theology, in us. And his love himself is perfected where? In us. Why people fight this is beyond me. The only thing I can think of is the Satan is just planting so many thorns and thistles in people's lives that they just don't get the obvious. Everything's about God's love today in the church today and they don't realize even what God's love is. And worst of all, listen to me carefully, listeners, you don't even have it. You have a self-form of love, a self-form of God. I am God. And was that not the deception that Satan presented to Eve? You can be your own God. My friends in India know what I'm talking about. Here's our question that closes off our message for today. Is it possible to love someone without being indwelt by the life of Christ? After hearing today's message, in? No. no. Most will say yes, of course. The reality is we don't and we cannot. The Lord has made it clear that God is love and this love is evidenced and manifested in us because God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love is the divine purpose of revealing to others Christ's propitiation or atoning sacrifice for our sins. Secondly, if we love according to God's definition, God abides in us through the life of Christ by representation of His indwelling Holy Spirit. So what is this thing we call love that unsaved people obviously demonstrate, demonstrate toward each other? It is nothing short of lust, passion, or an act of charity. And if they are giving God to each other, it is a God with a little G. Unsaved people can care about others, but they cannot give God or give love to them unless they have him, Christ Jesus, living inside them. Love is the most common abused word in, our, in every language in the entire world. Worldly love is a devotion to worldly gods, and these gods can give off the impression that they can care for people. The number one adjective that the enemy, the Antichrist, is going to use in the world in the final days is, I love you. And you need to love the world 
for you are the world. And this kind of displaced love is what the word calls idolatry. Satan is a lot more clever than you. I can give you that promise. Tozer talk. The act of using our relationships to lead others to and closer to Christ is the greatest act of love possible for indwell believers. It is to our great shame if we know someone socially and allow them to slip through our lives or association without ever revealing the greatest discovery of life, that of Jesus Christ. I rarely quote humans, but I want to give you this one that Tozer said a handful of years ago. He said, seen from our human standpoint, redemption must rank first among all acts of God. No other achievement of the Godhead required such vast and price knowledge, such perfection of wisdom, or such fullness of moral power. To bring man into communion with himself, Jesus Christ, must deal effectively with the whole matter of justice and righteousness. He must dispose of sin, reconcile an enemy, and make a rebel willingly obedient. And this he must do without compromising his, God's holiness, or coerce the race he would save. Simple facts are, here is our identity matter statement. Most assuredly then, the vision of the indwelt Christian social life must be that of going into the world, preaching the gospel to all creation. Of course, that's in Mark 16, 15. It should not be to gather friends on a social network, to shout out self-proclaimed opinions, to get along with people who are difficult, or develop strong and lasting friendships, or simply to love on others. It should be to get the word of God spread to an entire world. Why is this so important? So that each person can be a part of the one and only social network, that of the body of Christ. It is the best news that Jesus Christ and his Father's love offers forgiveness for sins, a new life, and the indwelling life of Christ through the Holy Spirit of promise. Through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he provides all these benefits upon man's personal repentance, his choosing, Christ's choosing, and touching us by his faith that is invested in us. And this life can be inherited through this great exchange. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't think of anything that is more important than that. Thank you, online listeners, for listening today. We're going to turn the podcast off so that we can go to our local questioning and answering. But if you do have a question that needs an answer, I would certainly be willing to dialogue with you through the scriptures to come up with an answer for you. Please log on to the website address that's coming up next. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.